Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks, the property podcast. I'm Liam Bailey. I'm head of research here at Knight Frank. And I'm delighted to welcome you to the second podcast in our 2023 season. Last episode, we took a deep dive into the world of ESG and real estate. And this week, we're going to move our focus to the office market of commercial uh, investment interest to some of you and of personal interest to pretty much everybody, I would have thought. To guide us through the latest themes, I'm joined by the leading expert in the market, Knight Frank's Head of Occupier Research, Lee Elliott. Welcome, Lee. Good to have you on the show. Hi, Liam. Great to be back. Lee, kick us off. First question. Are you in the office? I'm not. I've been in the office today, uh, but I'm now back at home. And uh, I think what that goes to show is that our relationship with the office has increasingly become more fluid and flexible. But before I get too defensive, I have been in the office, or will be in the office three days this week, which is about the norm for uh, the, the current climate and the, uh, the current period of this great global workplace experiment that we've all been thrust into. Spoiler to the audience, I we got a video call going on as well. I could see that Lee was at home, so I kind of I, I knew I knew he wasn't in the office. So flexible working, alive and well, I think there. So Lee, um, the Central London Research Team and yourself launched the latest Knight Frank London report last week. Now this might come as a surprise to some listeners. Work from home themes, economic turmoil last year, but our report revealed that take up of office space in London was. 11.5 million square feet last year, only 10% below trend. Did that surprise you? No, because when you dive into those details and actually analyse the sorts of take-up that we were seeing, what came through loud and clear, as we've been suggesting throughout last year and actually beyond, is that there's been a discernible flight to quality. And the most informed occupiers have recognised that there is a potential shortfall of that space emergent and that they've been moving in advance of that shortfall in order to secure the best space. So what we have very much in the London market is a sort of twin speed market where the the very best space that has all the strong environmental credentials, but also the amenity provision that will be so compelling to bringing people back into the office has been really heavily in demand. And occupiers have committed to that space often before it's even been completed. So pre-letting, certainly on the up in the London market. And we've seen a a real commitment and a flight to quality. I think the other thing to say on this is that it hasn't surprised me at all because we're a long way from where we were at the start of the COVID pandemic when lots of people were suggesting that occupiers are going to reduce footprints by 40 to 50%. I never actually believed that. I think I was on record in one of these podcasts of a a couple of years ago saying, actually, it's a much more nuanced position where there are occupiers that are expanding their footprint. There are those that are keeping it broadly similar. A lot of them actually went in that period of uncertainty. And there were some indeed that were reducing it. But irrespective of where you are on that spectrum of expansion or contraction, the one thing that is absolutely clear is occupiers are moving to the very best quality space. And that that trend's alive and well in the London market. That divide between best-in-class space and the rest of the space in the marketplace, that seems to be widening. Well, I think the spectrum of occupiers that are demanding quality has broadened, which means that more and more of the take-up that we're seeing in the market is for new or fully refurbished space. Historically, broadly, about a third of all London take-up fell into that category, and it's been trending in the 60% since COVID. So as a proportion of total take-up, that flight to quality is becoming somewhat universal, irrespective of which occupier you are. 
obviously small and medium-sized enterprises at the lower end of the scale of the, of the market are perhaps a little bit more value players. But certainly for big corporates in cities like London, which is a you know world-renowned global hub for corporates, the, the move has been absolutely to quality. And I think as a result of that, the gap is widening, both in terms of demand, but and, and, and subsequently, therefore, of course, in terms of the performance of those assets. And yeah, there will be a big issue in the London market, as indeed there will be around many markets around the world as, as ESG regulation tightens and some of that older stock becomes physically obsolete. And I would argue also from the occupier's perspective, more functionally obsolete, i.e. it doesn't fulfill the function that it needs to. That is going to create a real sort of contrast between that kind of space, which is in plentiful supply, and the quality which sort of is, is being taken up even before it's come out of the ground. And what we argued in the London breakfast was sort of taking going slightly outside of my comfort zone and talking into the investment arena. But, you know, what, what we've heard is that investors in London, because of that growing polarisation and with the skills set that they have around project management and development and repurposing, there will be an opportunity in the London market going forward through that polarisation to bring some of those currently obsolete sites back into productive use in, in, over the course of the next cycle. And just thinking about the space that's in demand in terms of the demand profile, and I'm guessing financial services dominates and tech, et cetera, but are you seeing any new themes in terms of the types of occupier demanding this kind of space? So I think, uh, as I said, it's a little bit universal. In fact, if, if anything, the tech sector's come off a little bit. You know, we've heard a lot about job losses in the tech sector, particularly amongst the big tech titans. And the knock-on implications of the macroeconomic environment is also venture capital funding is sort of drying up somewhat for the startup tech community. So I think we'll see tech being a little less prevalent in the London market than it has been historically, although it is clearly over the last cycle been a huge bellwether of trend in terms of type of space and amount of space that occupiers have taken. So I think it's quite a universal spectrum. I think in terms of occupiers that have been seeking space and driving demand, niche financials, so hedge funds, particularly in the core Mayfair market, have been particularly buoyant. We've seen law firms, uh, two types of demand from the law firms in, in the London market, I would argue, over the last year to 18 months. The first is structurally led. What you found after the immediate post-GFC period was a lot of law firms all at the same time committed to new leases. And they're now coming to expiry or break. And as a result, they're all coming back into the market at the same time. So they've absolutely driven the London market over the last year. And then the second type of demand from the legal sector has been some of the US law firms that have not traditionally been players in the London market who have um, dipping a toe into that market now and starting to be in expansion. One thing that I didn't mention at our London breakfast, but is very much on my radar around sort of future demand is also what I've referred to as corporate physio. So this notion that some of the large established corporates start to break down into smaller entities. We saw it historically with companies like Symantec. We've seen it more recently with GSK, have committed to a, a new high-quality HQ in London in the West End, and it's rumoured to be about to occur in Bayer, the pharmaceutical company. It's not exclusive to pharma, but they seem to be a little bit ahead of the curve on this. But you know, I think what's really interesting there is that you're going to see some of these traditional large-scale occupiers break down into, into two or more entities, and that actually some of those new companies that are formed will want real statement high statement, high profile facilities to sort of welcome themselves into the world of corporates. During COVID, you explored the fact that people had realised or occupiers had realised there was no point dragging workers an hour into the office and then an hour back home just to process email. But in terms of 
the change to how people are using space um, and actually what they're doing with it. Do you want to just give us a recap on the key sort of activities people are looking to do with their space? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that we're still deep in this great global workplace experiment and we're still, although the genie is out of the bottle on flexible working and I don't think will return, the pendulum will swing, not to mix my metaphors too much, but the, the pendulum will swing on, on flexible working and, and will settle at a position probably a little bit far removed from what we first anticipated. I referenced in the London Breakfast the Martini syndrome, the notion of people working anytime, any place, anywhere, one for the older listener, I'm sure. But, you know, I don't think we're going to end up there with one or two exceptions in perhaps the tech space in the smaller end of, of companies. I think the majority of companies do want their people back in the office for a period of time per week. We are seeing because of the macroeconomic environment and also growing concerns from business leaders about productivity levels. We are seeing a return to office of a higher level. The occupancy rates are nudging up slowly but surely, both in the UK and, and the US, and you know, numbers this week suggesting that occupancy is on the rise. I maintain it will remain short of where we were pre-COVID because of flexible working. So pre-COVID, we were 65 to 70% office occupancy. Any office building was about that full in terms of its overall capacity. I think we'll end up somewhere between 50 and 60% as a, as a general rule, and we're creeping up to that point. The reason for that is that flexible working will be a reality for more of us, but not on, as I said, on the basis that was perhaps originally sort of suggested. And, you know, what's interesting is a number of companies recently have acknowledged the need for flexible working, but have also taken a much more office-first stance. We hear a lot about hybrid and, you know, I think hybrid's easy to say, not easy to do. And I think companies are gra really grappling with it. One of the things you've got to remember with hybrid is it still has office central to its proposition. So if you, even if you allow people to work in a hybrid fashion, two days a week at home, three at the office, you still need office space. And that's why you're going to see those occupancy rates creeping up. In answer to the, the broader question about what, what space is being used for, I've argued for 20 years that offices have been used as email processing farms, and that was not effective for people, but equally not cost effective for business. And I think we are starting to recognise that we all produce email and respond to email on the fly. I don't think that you need an office to do that. But what you do need an office for is a couple of things, I think. One, connection with colleagues. You know, much of the work that goes on in offices, let's not forget, is knowledge-based, innovative-based work, and it requires people to come together. Of course, you can do it through technology, but I still advocate very strongly that that interface between people in a, in a digital setting is nowhere near as inspirational or effective in terms of producing sort of innovative and creative ideas. So connectivity, creativity, one of the other things that I think we're seeing a lot of noise from professional service firms around is the inability of people to actually learn on the job and understand what it is to be a professional, whether it's an accountant, a real estate professional, whatever it is. If you're not actually alongside people that have got miles on the clock, if you like, and, and can teach people the ropes. It's a massive issue, as I've I think I've said before, again, on this podcast, within the, the legal sector, senior lawyers have been untethered from their linear meterage of paper files that they <laughs> traditionally always needed. Their digital technology is seen to that. And they've been, through the COVID period, been able to work remotely, and I've actually quite liked it. And actually, the struggle for many law firms is actually getting those senior people back in to sit alongside the junior people who are desperate to learn from them. So there's a lots of dynamics going on, but I think it's all about using office space to support people's connection and in so doing I think also embolden sort of corporate culture which 
I think has probably been diluted a little bit because of the pandemic experience and the displacement of staff around, you know, around countries. Let's just return to a theme that came out of the the London report and the, and the London breakfast last week. Just thinking about that secondary space. So the report points to obsolescence risk, uh, 51% of stock in London rated below EPC grade C and therefore at risk uh, in the near term. 7 million square feet of that space has got lease expiries uh, within the next year or so. What's the outlook for that space in terms of conversion, refurbishment? Where do you think it's going to be moving? Well, I think it's a mixed outlook. As always with real estate, it comes down to the fundamental qualities of the asset, of each individual asset and the quality of the bones of each building. Let's be clear, EPC rating below C means that you won't be able to let the building from 2030 onwards. So, and there's downward pressure on that timescale as well, uh, given recent sort of government recommendations. So there's a massive issue there of, of a, a large amount of space all coming up to expiry that cannot be let at least in the over a medium term horizon, and it's going to have to be brought back into productive use. I think what you're likely to see is a mix. I think you're likely to see the, don't forget the planning environment is working here as well to sort of force developers down a refurb and redevelop route as opposed to a, you know, knock down and start again, which has been the traditional approach to development, I I would suggest. So people's hands, developers' hands are going to be forced into redevelopment and the best buildings in the best locations with the best bones are going to go down that route and that will actually support the supply pipeline of London, which is constrained and might bring some space back into productive use a little quicker in the cycle than would otherwise have been the case. But we also need to recognise that some of that space is going to remain obsolete because it it isn't redevelopable, if that's a word, and you know you can't replenish it, you can't bring it back into a productive commercial use. And therefore, it will be looking to go into other types of use class. You know, we're now hearing lots of noise, as you'll, you'll know well, in the London market about, you know, traditional bastions of, of commerce becoming more residential havens, uh, office buildings being converted into residential space and also alternative uses, whether that's hotels or leisure or, or, or you know, the, the full sweep of different use types. So, yeah, I think it's quite exciting for London. It's clearly a challenge for London as well, because what this leads to is a new approach to the development of of real estate. Perfect. It's an exciting future ahead. Um, Final question. If you were developing office space in London, what sector or what type of office space would you be uh, focusing on right now? Good question. I would be sector agnostic. (laughs) Not to dodge the question, but (laughs) I think we have a big problem in real estate that we get too transfixed with classifications of occupiers into broad or narrow groupings. But, you know, we, we, there's a tech occupier, there's a media occupier, there's a finance occupier. I think the reality is, and this is something I did say on stage last week, is that in order for a developer to let space to an occupier, you've got to be much more customer-centric. You've got to be much more focused on the individual needs of that customer. And every company is different. I think one of the exciting things for me as an occupationally-focused researcher is that there is such a broad sweep of occupational demand that's out there. And we're now going to get a market that's much more responsive and attuned to that demand. So I would argue it's all about best quality space, but it's about trying to be really clear about what your customer needs. And in terms of what those needs are, we've already touched upon a few of them. You know, helping them with space design, actually, which has not been traditionally the remit of a landlord. You know, it's generally been down to the tenant to fit out the space and think about its configuration. Start to think and help in that area, but also think about amenity provision. 
I referenced HFW, the law firm that we assisted in pre-letting space at 8 Bishopsgate and consolidating out of two buildings into that shiny new building. And one of the things that was central to the case for HFW was the fact that 75,000 square foot of that building was amenity space, which not only supported a better workplace experience for their staff, but it also acted as ancillary space that they could use rather than actually taking space in their own demise. It's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I wouldn't be targeting. I would be thinking, other than thinking about the individual customer and being much more customer-centric. Perfect. So stay flexible and work with the occupier on delivering the right space. Absolutely. Lee, we've run out of time, uh, but thank you very much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Just leaves me to remind all of our listeners that for more analysis, uh, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday or any one of our dedicated sector-focused newsletters and see our show notes for more details. And please subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this episode. 